0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, we're calling the Chiefs of Gainesville. We talk to Andrew Hines and Rob Flynn. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're going to recap all things Gators and talk to the two winning crew chiefs from Pro Stock Motorcycle and Top Fuel. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Heinz bikes are out, and it is Crazy Town and Pro Stock Motorcycle hey everybody it's brian loans back with another episode of the nhra insider podcast coming off an incredible weekend at the amelie oil nhra gator nationals it was a weekend of historic crowds it was a weekend of historic performances and certainly a weekend that started the 2023 nhra drag racing series season off an incredibly fine style uh where to really begin here you have so many storylines and Two of those storylines we'll be concentrating on today with our conversations with Andrew Hines uh, as we talk about the debut of Gage Herrera as a rider with Vance and Hines and the fact that he just dominated this race from end to end. Number one qualifier, uh, runs the table, sets uh, a speed record at the racetrack. So, I mean, this guy has done some incredible things in his first real weekend as a full-time rider with Vance and Hines. And he even had the boss with him. Terry Vance was on the property to witness all of this firsthand. So uh, we'll talk to Andrew Hines. And, of course, we'll talk to Rob Flynn, crew chief for Mike Salinas, the winning top fuel driver, nearly ran the table. He was in the final of the Pep Boys Top Fuel All-Star Callout Race, came short, up short against uh, Josh Hart. But certainly on Sunday, when it really matters for championship glory, they won the race, and they did so in uh, in a really neat fashion. I think, you know, outside of the this great stories on the racetrack, um, you know, we saw Troy Coughlin Jr. take home the Pro Stock Honors, drove one of the great races of his career, and Matt Hagan going back-to-back at the Gator Nationals and winning a Nitro Funny Car was also spectacular. Um uh, the biggest story of all this thing though is the crowd right it was an insane friday the largest friday that has uh, been seen at the gator nationals really in a couple of decades likely saturday was a sellout of uh, what is one of the largest drag racing venues on the planet and then sunday was another rip-roaring crowd i don't know if an official sellout was announced but it was real close if you look at how many people were just hanging out on the fence versus the very small number of seats that were available in the grandstands um it was uh, it was as energetic on on Saturday as it was, or rather on Sunday as it was on Friday and Saturday. We had great pomp and circumstance as well. We had the high school band who was great. Uh, they were played early in the weekend, and then on Sunday we had the University of Florida marching band that performed uh, not only during the pre-race ceremonies, not only during the the track walk, but also they had them in the grandstands playing some tunes over the course of the day. Those kids are having a great time. I think a lot of them, if not all of them, uh, were experiencing uh, nitro drag racing or professional drag racing at the same time. We also had the uh, U.S. Air Force uh, flyover with that massive uh, C 17 Globemaster aircraft to kick things off. It started the season. Uh, in the way we all want. And we were on the, the, the Fox broadcast network for our Sunday show, which drew an audience that averaged about a million people. So, um, And at times peaked at, I think, 1.3 over the course of the broadcast. So all in all, uh, we started the 2023 season with a, a huge gust of strength, entertainment, and uh, certainly great action on the racetrack. We saw teams rise to the occasion. And and really, when we talk about the Nitro team specifically, this was a very challenging race. We began the day at 10 a.m. Now, normally, as, as many of you know, uh, we start our races typically at 11 a.m. And uh, it's about a five-hour program start to end. So like 11 to about 4 in the afternoon is when we typically run. Because of our television window and our um, live, being live on the, on the network, we moved the start time back to 10 a.m. In order to try to be off the air at three which we got everything shown on the broadcast network except the pro stock final which ran behind top fuel um and so that was actually kicked over to fs2 and uh, a load of the audience went over to watch that pro stock final as well if you watch one of the re-airings of the race you'll see it all in one uh, fell swoop but if you were watching it live you know that we ran out of time before having to shift the network over to nascar Uh, on our traditional kind of race format. And so I I say it was a very high-stress environment for the Nitro team specifically because, one, it's the first race of the year. There are new crew people on almost every team, and the turnarounds are incredibly tight. And the fact that, um, you know, we're trying to kind of starting earlier, tight turnarounds, and being the first race, it was a great test of, you know, veteran crews and, and even new help on some of those teams. And the team that really did the best job in Top Fuel anyway, and in Nitro Funny Car, were teams that have very solid and intact, for the most part, workers. Guys that have been doing this a long time that can rise to the pressure that can act in race one with the same level of efficiency they may act in race 22. And to me, it was one of those hidden stories in that the teams that really did succeed on Sunday were the teams that um, had that veteran leadership and they did the work the most accurately and quickly and and that's something that we if we had a all five hours to show you on TV we could show all that but it's something that showed itself in various different forms we had several cars over the course of the day come up over and have problems like on the starting line you know problems of uh, maybe uh, engine assembly issues or service issues that reared their head when the rubber hit the road, whether the car would smoke the tires on the step of the throttle, whether the car didn't have an operable throttle pedal, whether the car failed on the burnout. These are all things that were the consequence of people being put in that pressure cooker and being put in the very first instance of the year in one of the most high tension pressure situations they will see. In the entirety of the year, we may not have another Sunday as frenetic as the one we started our season with. And, you know, we know that NASCAR starts their season with the Daytona 500. and It's kind of the same way. It's this massive race that places you in an uncomfortable position of needing to be in midseason form when you really haven't even turned a, you know, turned a tire and angry yet, so to speak. So that was a really neat thing to Observe And observe the the results of that work that was being done between rounds. Uh, when we talked to Andrew Hines, we're going to go deep into the Gage Herrera story. But, boy, you know, it was, if not the single greatest story of this race, certainly uh, certainly top five, uh, certainly top three. And, and in a lot of ways, it, it felt like we watched a legitimate professional drag racing star get born on Sunday. And really, we started to see that on Friday when the kid was reeling off these just flawless qualifying runs, which culminated in a 668, which is only two hundredths off the national record that was set in those bizarre conditions we had in 2022. So, um, you know, for Gage Herrera confronting all the pressures of being part of this this very high profile team, confronting all the pressures of this being a high expectation situation with Terry Vance in the house, with wanting to validate Andrew Hines' decision to hire him for the team, uh, he stood up there and delivered, and delivered in a way that um, that may go down in the annals of pro stock motorcycle history as one of the most kind of auspicious. And again, it wasn't his pro debut, and that's one of the things we can't we can't lose sight of. He did run with uh, Greg Underdahl last year, Gary Stowe for last year, and the motorcycle he was on was good. He would qualify, just didn't have the big horsepower, and he's got it all now. So that'll be the topic of our conversation with Andrew Hines in, in just a couple of minutes. But when we look at, you know, the momentum and the, the kind of feel we had to begin this season, it was great. Uh, we had full fields in all the professional categories. We had 20 pro stock cars, which is not going to be something that is a rarity. In fact, that is going to be the norm. And, you know, Matt Hartford was not qualified till the last session. Shane Tucker tried to fight his way in and his, his return race as a full time pro stock racer, the rec, racer. Uh, They came up just short. Alan Pruszynski came up just short. You know, he's still sticking with his Hemi program, and that program has resulted in him picking up performance. He just didn't quite have enough on a very fast weekend in Gainesville, Florida. We look at Erica Enders and and her continued issues in Gainesville. You know, this is a racer who has won basically everywhere, five-time champion, but Gainesville, Florida, for some reason for her, is like the Bermuda Triangle came up for the first round to race her teammate a rookie jerry tucker and her car just literally wouldn't start and they worked they thrashed up until nhra officials told tucker to stage and go and it was a very disappointing beginning for her Uh, but as we well know about erica and her typical seasons uh, it is not how they start it is how they end and for the last several years they have ended with her hoisting a trophy in pomona so this may only serve as perhaps more motivation Young Mason McGay, hey, boy, let's talk about that kid for a second. Uh, With the needed horsepower, he qualified third, made his way to the final, just didn't have enough for Troy Coughlin Jr. And even Troy Coughlin Jr.'s story is great. His father was there, Jeg Sr., his grandfather was there. And what we saw out of Troy Jr. was a guy who he seemed looser in his interviews, certainly seemed very comfortable in the race car. And this is a championship caliber competitor. And maybe over the last couple of seasons, he's fallen short on the you know run for the championship at the very end. But if he maintains even a semblance of what we saw out of him over the course of um, over the course of this Gator Nationals weekend, this is a guy that uh, that may well give Erica a run for her money. May well give that fleet of KB Titan cars all that all that they can handle over the course of a year. And a nitro funny car, um, J.R. Todd's team really does seem to have returned to form. They, they had a nice race. They, they did not end the way they wanted it in the final round. They, they did what they had to do, which was to really try to get after it against the always uh, hardcore tune-ups of Dickie Venables and the always solid driving of Matt Hagan. But to have them make a final in their first race of the season, as disappointing as it was not to finish it the way they wanted, was definitely a move in the right direction for that entire operation. For Matt Hagan, it was another day that we have seen him have so many times. In fact, it was his 44th career victory in Gainesville, and it moved him one ahead of Tony Pedregon in the all-time list. So he is continuing to kind of creep his way into that, um, that list of greats, which we know that he is. He's one of the best funny car drivers in, in modern drag racing history. The way he handles the car, his consistency on the starting line places him in, in very unique and rare company. And then in top fuel... Doug Coletta's 364 in the first round is a uh, kind of a signal run. Yes, they went out early uh, earlier than they would have wanted to have gone out that particular race. but the 364 in his first round win was certainly a signal to everybody else that they can do it. and and I've talked about it on this show several times, but you know, when Tony Pedragon sees a run like that and perks up, It is the fact that it wasn't an accident. They didn't fall their way into a 364. It means that they actually have a functional tune-up that can get them there, a functional tune-up that can see them in that 360s where they really need to be, and a functional tune-up that, uh, by all intents and purposes, can be employed successfully in other places. They got behind the eight ball in the pits, and I'm not sure why, but we saw that car come around the corner for his elimination run that he lost, uh, there was a guy like on top of the engine. I mean, they were assembling the car, or at least finish assembling it in the pit in the staging lanes. So maybe we take that element out of there in upcoming events with a less uh, stringent or the less over the top pressure cooker style turnaround, and maybe we see that car do what we have expected it to do for a couple of seasons now, which is to start turning on some wind lights in final rounds. Overall, I'm not sure I could have scripted or wanted or expected a better. Amelie Oil Gator Nationals to start the season. It really was fantastic and it really left everybody, whether you were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whether you were there watching at home on NHRA.tv or NHRA on Fox broadcast, left everybody going, man, when do we get to go to Phoenix? And the answer is like a week and change. Uh, It is not that far away. And so the Phoenix race, typically, we're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks, but historically, Phoenix is an incredibly fast race. We're there a little bit later than we typically are, of course, but the reality of the situation is that Phoenix is always a performance-style race. It's not a tuner's let's run 370s and top fuel and try to get it down the racetrack. It is a you better show up with a 360s tune-up, you better show up not afraid to use it, and you better show up with a driver that is going to be on top of the wheel because these cars will, of course, as we (laughs) often see, will get away from people in, uh, in a heartbeat. So a great weekend at Gainesville, and uh, with that, I want to move into our first guest, or I should say when we come back, I want to move into our first guest, Andrew Hines, who is the crew chief for the Vance and Hines Pro Stock Motorcycle Team, plucked Gage Herrera out of relative obscurity, and he seems like a genius for doing it. We will be talking to Andrew Hines when we return here on the NHRA Insider Podcast. So we are back here in the NHRA Insider podcast, our first post Gainesville episode, and we're catching up with the crew chief of the guy who won pro stock motorcycle, Andrew Hines of the Vance and Hines team. Man, what a storybook weekend!
1: Yeah, I tell you what, Brian, it was. Uh, we took a trifecta there, you know. With we brought a brand <laughs> new Gen three Hayabusa body, brought our brand new Vance and Hines billet cases, and a rider that had zero round wins and we came away with uh, about everything we could ever ask for in one weekend
0: you know you've told the story and I'm, I'm going to make you tell it again because uh, you know this idea of kind of spotting talent and then being able to, to put that talent in the right place is, is unique really in the sport anymore this is kind of a unique story there's not many rides like the one Gage Herrera is is on right now in terms of the availability of the motorcycle and, and how he got the job so what did you see when you were home last year from Indy stuck at home you had COVID you're watching what did you see when you watch Gage Herrera ride that said this is our guy uh, I, you know
1: I hadn't been home from the races in 25 <laughs> plus years I hadn't seen a pro stock motorcycle live on tv uh not in person in, in probably not nearly 30 years, you know, watching the Eddie yeah. tray a few years ago too. So, and, you know, listening to Reinhardt on the old audio cast or Bob Fry and all that stuff back then. So, um, when I was at home at, during the U.S. Nationals, I, you know, I got COVID on the the weekend prior to Indy, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be, I'm gonna, here I am, I'm going to miss the first race and I don't know how long. So, I'm sitting in my basement watching on my big screen TV, and the first motorcycle to come down the track was, was Gary Stouffer's uh, personal motorcycle, um, you know, because Karen was riding for war. Yep. So, and Gary had uh, put this bike together. He'd been training a few people throughout the years trying to, you know, introduce people to the class. Yeah. And and here comes Gage Herrera. And I knew, I'd heard his name, you know, I, I had known, I follow some of the Pro Street, Outlaw stuff, just watching it through, you know, XDA and, and uh, IDBL and all the stuff that's been around for years and i heard his name and i knew he had wired some of the pro stock bikes he'd uh you know he does gauge does so much stuff on the side um you know that him and his dad do for, for herrera racing and he's just a talent all around but um here he is doing a burnout and he's the first bike i'm going to see live <laughs> not in person in i don't know how long and he rips the bike down the track and i could just you could tell from the the way he sat on the motorcycle on the starting okay. line just You know, lining the bike up, rolling into the beams, and then his—you could see the little finesse corrections. Because I think on that run, it kind of went to the center line. He had to just pull it back a little bit, and it reminded me a lot of the corrections I made early on in my career. Just you know, a little head bob, a stick of shoulder out, something like that, and kind
0: of instinctual type of stuff. Yeah,
1: it was just—it's just you could see that the inherent natural ability he had. And I was like, man, I need to watch this kid the rest of the year. Just you know, in the in the circumstance that maybe we need a new rider for the yeah. next year. So, um, you know, through the countdown, it was, uh, you know, I just kept a close eye on him. We went to Dallas and did some testing, uh, you know, cause they had the, the stampede of speed sure. and they allowed us to test there that, that Wednesday. And he was there testing with Stoffer as well. And it was, you know, every, it seemed like every time we rolled up, he was up there with us and just, <laughs> we were on that same rotation, you know, just got to, you know, we were picking spots for him, helping him line up and just uh you know watching his reaction times for qualifying reaction times on sunday whether you know because he was only he only made it the first round was the four races he qualified yeah and that was and, the thing
0: too he was one of those guys that snapped off i mean he left every one of those races he qualified for he left first in the first round He exactly. just didn't have enough to get him to the finish line first yeah yeah
1: and, and his string of lights you know we get the incremental sheets every round and you can look back at what everybody did on the at the last qualifying set, at, at the last incremental sheet, and see all their four sessions. And he was, you know, consistently twenty to forty, maybe a fifty here and there. I was like, man, this is—he's uh, just doing all the right things. Yeah. Obviously, he's he's feeling the pressure. You know, he, he's yep. out there just just getting laps at that point. You know, they they knew they were kind of bringing a knife to a gunfight with uh, yeah. having the old two valve capability out there versus all the new four valves, but. You know, had had he not gone down that road, had the Stophers not tapped on him to say, "Hey, why don't you just come out here and get your feet wet?" I would not have seen him, and it could have been a whole different story this off season, But he got his name out there at the exact right time.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> and and obviously, it's a great kind of cosmic story. And I think, in your estimation, as a rider and somebody who's been around this for for an incredibly long uh, period of time in your in your life, the, those four races and all the qualifying and testing runs. Really set him up to be successful, with you guys. I, do you see uh, a, a, the timeline changes? Right, if this if this comes together a different way, and he didn't have that experience with with the Stofers, is he is he the guy that finds his way onto this motorcycle and has this immediate success, or were those runs that he made last year very important to that?
1: Those runs are super important. You know, it, it actually opened up the door for even earlier for him because we had planned on testing Eddie's bike on Monday in Vegas. Okay, and. We were planning on putting a whole bunch more equipment on there than what we typically run down the track so we can monitor a lot more stuff on the engine. And it weighs about 15 pounds. Okay. And it was, we knew we were gonna test, we knew we were gonna run this equipment. And on uh, on Friday, Augustine, his dad was walking by the trailer and I just on a whim, I just it just like blurted out of my mouth. I said, hey, is Gage gonna be here on Monday? And he's like, does he need to be? <laughs> <laughs> I think at that point he's like, huh, I wonder what they're doing. So we kind of worked through you know, Friday and Saturday and uh, Augustine came over Saturday night. He's like, yeah, do you still need him to be here? He's like, you know, he's going to have to change a flight and he's got to, you know, call off work and whatever. And I said, well, let me, let me think about it. Cause you know, I, I hadn't told Terry, I was even thinking about yeah. this
0: independent <laughs> so, decision making. <happening>. Yeah. He's
1: <laughs> like, but you know, by handing me the reins of the team here in the last couple of years, it's like, all right, I'm just going to make this decision, run with it. And I'll tell Terry after the fact to deal with the ramifications. So um, we tested him on Ed's bike and he made runs that were you know quicker than anybody went on Sunday and it was worse there on Monday so we knew uh, on those five runs that everything was you know if, if we had to go down that road that was going to be the direction so
0: you know and and one of the things I really enjoyed about watching him this weekend and, and I had had him on this podcast a few weeks ago and you and I had chatted beforehand you're like hey listen this guy's like still getting his feet wet this is all a big kind of mm-hmm. overwhelming situation for him and it, and. I think, ironically, we spoke to him, I think, more than any other single racer over the course of the weekend, and you could actually see him, as comfortable as he was on that motorcycle, you could actually see him getting a little more comfortable talking with our, our NHRA on Fox reporters over the course of the weekend, so it was a huge, it was a huge experience for him to win this race, but also he got the camera jammed in his face, I think, pretty much every round.
1: Exactly, you know when he uh, when he popped off those 68s on qualifying, and he, he did the interviews with Amanda at the end, and then he had to run up to the tower. And every time he'd come back, I'm like, I have said, are you getting used to it yet? You know, you're gonna, you're gonna have to do an awful lot more. This <laughs> this bike keep going like this, and you ride like that. So, you know, the the thing now is uh, the kid's riding so good. I mean, he's made maybe 30 runs with us total between yeah. you know, last year and this year, and his lights are super consistent. He hasn't done anything I haven't asked him to do. Um the only <laughs> people say man he made he had a perfect sunday and i you know you me trying to humble him a little bit keep sure. him honest in the semis when he raced gianna he actually hit the rev limiter in first gear for 400 of a second and Ooh. that's why the bike went seventy
0: four. Okay, I was I was actually gonna work. I was gonna check down to that, but that makes sense. So yeah, just and and he even talked about that in one of the interviews he did with him about how you know just momentary lapses like that can cost you multiple hundreds. So yeah, there you go.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yep. It just all stacks up. So you know, typically if I see a a rev limiter hit you know, early in the run is the worst time. Cause you're not rolling, right. You're only going 70 miles an hour. So, uh, whatever you, whatever you're on the limiter, you get about half back if you don't do that the next run. So maybe 71. So that thing was just a bracket bike, but, um, you know, testing has been well. I mean, he's, he's making the bike, he's opening up my window on the chassis. He, he moves with the bike so early in the run that it's, it gives the chassis way more traction. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I mean we're getting bored of 104s I mean the thing was knocking off 103s on a greasy track all day Sunday so we're looking really forward to you know Charlotte notably I mean that's you know that downhill racetrack he will yeah. be running four wide for the first time so I said hey you just want a two wide race let's go four wide racing so
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you know for you on on Sunday morning you know you, you, you've you tested with this guy and he tested very well. He qualified very well. You get to the racetrack on Sunday morning. Um, other than the normal, you know, the normal conversation, was there anything you felt you had to tell him about a about a race day situation? Obviously, he had done it last year, but you know, we're really talking about two different, uh, you know, two different stages there.
1: Yeah. So we didn't talk about much on Sunday because you know he'd worked, he's ridden so well through qualifying that you know I just. We, we yeah. came there. He was 22 and 35 off the truck on qualifying on his first day at a national event on our team. And the next day I said, okay, let me just, I'm going to slow the bike down a little bit and see where we can be in the comfortable zone so he went 52 and 58 on q2 and Q, or q3 Q and q4 so i said okay i know the bike's in a good window even if he gets the yips on sunday you know some people just kind of
0: <laughs> yeah took up
1: that magic one and a half to two hundredths of a second and you know they might take themselves right out of the show with the double or red light i just knew if i kept the bike back a little bit you know even if he's like usually sunday i pick up a little bit so i'm like let me just keep it on the safe side yeah and uh, you know keeping track of where you are in a lane is a big thing too you know we, uh, we ran three of our four runs in a specific spot in the right lane, okay. right between the tire tracks of Pro Stock Car. And on those three runs, he was 45, 41, and 39. Yeah. And sec- second round when we ran Eddie, not a single bike wanted to go in that spot that I wanted to go in. So nobody cleaned it off, so I went where everybody else was, which was, call it, way up the hill towards the inside. And he was 23 in the tree. But I think you wow. know, with the way the rollout works on – where you are on the starting line the motorcycles we can move around so much and we have such a little cross section in the front end yep you know if we're you can be sitting quote unquote low in the beams because we're not in a dip in the racetrack and your reaction times could be quicker yeah
0: that's interesting
1: honestly i think that's why joey gladstone went red in second round because he went 11 red and he was up in that high spot of the track
0: so it tightened uh, it it, in in fact kind of tightened the roll up.
1: Exactly. It tightened up the rollouts. the reaction times were quicker because, you know, as soon as we went back to the first semis and finals, that spot in the middle gauge was 39 and 41. So it was, uh, we're planning for it now. Now I got, you know, runs where the bike's been deep in eliminations on Sunday and we know that his bike with him on it will just leave on almost any, track surface. So <laughs> it's pretty, really
0: cool. You know, to me, it's really interesting because obviously when, when a guy like Gage is hired to, to do this for a team like Vance and Hines, the expectation is we're hiring you to win, right? We're hiring you to win mm-hmm. races. And there are a section of people that that becomes overwhelming too. And that, and that swallows them up. And there's other people that are able to take that, that expectation and basically say, yeah, well I'm here cause I want to win too. Like I, you're, you know, it's an interesting match that the personality type is such an interesting match in, in any motorsport but especially in drag racing to not let this idea well, well there's Terry Vance up there in the tower watching me race his bike versus yeah I'm on the best piece of equipment here I'm gonna win the damn race you know yeah, that's exactly. unique, that's, yeah. that's another unique find
1: yeah and one thing that I don't I don't even think I realized you know I watched his uh winter or uh Towers interview, the press room interview after the race, and he said that even in all his other racing, the best he'd ever qualified was, he thought, he thought maybe third, so <laughs> <laughs> here I am, you know, I got a motorcycle that's, you know, it was a proven motorcycle all through last year, it was fast, yeah. and we got it, I got it really fast at the end of the year, and we threw him in this situation on a new team, new chassis, new bodywork, uh, min- minimal runs with us, and he's got the field, you know, with a little bit of gap, and there's a situation there where your brain's like, man, I can't screw. If I screw this up, I'm going to look bad because, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, I was, I was going to give him the mulligan at the first race because the pressure was just, you know, really, really mounting, but, uh, he did, he did fantastic. And, you know, our guys were just over the moon because, um, you know, they worked so hard to get these bikes to this point. Yeah, You, you want know. the
0: result. Everybody wants, exactly. the result, yeah. you know, not just a rider, but the guys that are yeah. bleeding over these. Things. Yeah.
1: And with Ed's bike, you know, we're, we're, we got, I think we got really lost with Ed's bike. We wound we wound up finding a cracked wheelie bar after, a, after qualifying in Gainesville. Oh, no way. Um, yeah. One of the left, the left upright at the front, which kind of controls the spring back of the wheelie bars was cracked. And so we welded that up overnight and we're like, man, this thing, you know, I, I did, honestly didn't think it was going to make that big of a difference. Eddie was pretty much thinking it was a huge deal and we did modify his launch curve and rpm on the starting line for sunday quite a bit and it went out there and just drove off the starting line on sunday with a 107 that had way more traction than anything we had in the last you know 10 hits with between testing and qualifying Jeez! Right, so anyway second low of the round so i'm super pumped about how these bikes are going to run for the rest of the year i mean last year ed's bike was 60 foot decent most of the time but it wouldn't run to the finish line and turns out it was mostly just uh, a wiring harness problem you know, it put a harness on just like Gage's bike, and now it's putting up ETs and speeds just like it. So that's
0: crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always something. Whether it doesn't you're always chasing something in one of these things, and whether it's the good type of chasing to pick up a little or the tough type of chasing to actually fix a problem, it's amazing when you're able to identify this stuff, especially exactly. something like the crack wheelie bar. Um yep. you know, I look at the Pro Stock Motorcycle class and and it was such a great weekend overall when we talk about, you know, Chase Van Zant shows up, young guy put on a put on a great performance for himself with the 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 war team, Gianna Salinas or Gianna Evaristo riding so well, uh, quicker than she's ever gone before. I even look at riders like Kelly Clontz, who managed a, a low 80 and, and look very good. And it's like, man, the, the levels kind of come up around the entire category. And there is so much youth out there. It's awesome. I mean, I'm looking at these young riders and it's like, damn, there's there's going to be a year. This whole season is going to be kind of defined, I think, by these young riders. And especially, you know, I look at Chase and Gage and they both came out with great composure in their first first event
1: yeah it's definitely gonna we're seeing the transition of you know the future of the class here coming out you know there's still the veterans out there you know matt's out there but you know even even matt's kind of hinted that he doesn't know how much longer he wants to do this he's gonna he enjoys the tuning side too and then you know ed he's he's at the point he's like he's like i want to get to 50 and then we'll see what happens (laughs) you know (laughs) he's one away so um but yeah you know richard gatson he's he's coming out there he's putting on a show too so when they get that bike uh you know, consistently going down the racetrack, you know, event to event, they're going to learn more and more, and he's going to be out there and he's going to be a thorn on every side. And, you know, Steve Johnson, the the Wiley veteran that's yep. been out there forever. I mean, his bike is fast. He's just he'll find the he'll find the consistency again and, and be. Uh, it's it's going to be a stacked field the rest of the season. It's going to be a, a crazy experience.
0: I think it's great that, once again, we have the specialty race uh, in Sonoma for motorcycles. This year it's going to the call-out format, so all four of the Camping World professional categories will have a call-out race. I think it's, again, it's got to be a happy thing for, for everybody in the category because, A, it's more money, and, B, anytime we can take each individual class and kind of place it on its own pedestal over the course of the weekend, it's great.
1: Right, yeah, and, you know, an- another thing with uh, with this season and having a gauge as a, a- a quote-unquote rookie on our team is we uh, we're gonna have the Mission Too Fast Too Tasty yes. Challenge. Yes, and so that's gonna allow him to adapt to the real race situation way earlier than maybe just going event to event to event because we're gonna have double the racing. So right now, you know, by winning the race, he's locked into the next Mission Too Fast Too Tasty Challenge in Chicago. So we'll run that on Saturday, and he'll get a more more frequent taste of. Going rounds and having to be in those pressure situations, so it's gonna be all around a good deal.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a neat that program. Obviously, again, we go back to that same thing where it's one, it's it's more money for the teams, but two, to your point, especially with these younger riders, it, when you're able to place them in a competitive situation on Saturday to kind of get the whistle wet a little bit for Sunday, um, in theory, that's only gonna make somebody better.
1: Exactly, and you know that like you know we're gonna be racing the battle in, in Sonoma on Saturday, so I guess it's. it's I call it the battle, right? Because I raced so many of them in my career. <laughs> right, I guess it's right. the call out now. Yes. But um, same, same scenario, you know, racing for some money and no points and, and uh, earning your spot into that position. So luckily we got a good start with uh, the qualifying points there as well.
0: Talk to me a little bit about billet cases because this, uh, to me, seems like technology that is really going to move the class ahead uh, for so many years. Obviously, if you're a Suzuki racer, you were having to work with factory pieces and brace them up and machine them up and cut them up. But now, you know, these billet cases – at least on paper, anyway, seemed to be a huge leap forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we needed them a decade ago, but we're finally to the point that we got them, and uh, our machine shop's still cutting away on them as fast as we can. We had uh, we had seven in service. Um, or uh, we we have we ha- we have seven in service currently. Uh, War has a set of cases. He, Tim hasn't built those up yet. He was working on it prior to, but he it's kind of like the. At what point do you call a time before you need yeah. to go to the race? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Matt Smith got a set. He was actually running them this weekend in his bike. Um, we each had one for our bikes, um, but we made a decision going into Gainesville that, okay, Gage, we'll leave Gage with the billet spare, because Ed actually ran a set in testing. Okay. Um, but we only had one each, because we didn't want to just hoard four or five of them for ourselves. We wanted to get them all out there. Um, Kelly had a set. Joey had two sets because originally Corey was going to potentially ride at the race, so he he wound up with a spare. Um, But, you know, we could pull the transmission out the side, which worked out huge for Joey because he had a couple runs the qualifying where when it lit the tire up, he just aborted the run because it wasn't worth beating on the motor the rest of the way down the track. And he he wound up bending a shift fork on Q3. Yeah, on Q3 he bent a shift fork. And then... Didn't know it. So Q four, he didn't. He it left good, but he wasn't able. It went. It shifted from two to four, and he aborted the run because he thought something else was going wrong. But that was a run that had he made it, had it shifted, he would have been probably number two or three qualifier. Wow. Uh, so that 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 probably put a little bit of fear in the Steve Johnson side. Knowing that, man, I got to run Joey Gladstone first round. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah. So kind of understanding the fact that there was more there than in the yeah. qualifying sheet showed. Yeah, that makes total yeah. sense.
1: But, you know, the, the history of having to fix a transmission in the bike was it's always been a three-hour deal because you have to pull the engine out of the, out of the chassis, split the cases in half, pull the transmission out, put it back in, put it back in the bike, and it's just a total nightmare. Um, it's not the, you know, it's part it's, it's of racing, right? right. It's not the most that fun thing you want to do to go fix a shift fork. So when Joey told Corey, he's like, I think, I, I think I've been a shift fork. Corey's thinking, "Oh man, I'm gonna have we got four hours of work tonight." And Joey's like, "No, we got the bill at cases." Like, <laughs> so I was over there. I'm like, "Yeah, just ten minutes. Bring it over to me. We'll put a shift fork in it. I'll give it back to you and bolt back to the bikes." So he was like, "Oh, this is way better. This is cool."
0: Yeah. So, 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 so it goes from three hours to, in theory, what hour? Hour and a half shorter than less than an hour. I mean, wow. we could do
1: it between rounds on Sunday if we wanted yeah,
0: to. Yeah, that's I mean, amazing.
1: We'll be able to change ratios and do whatever we want, and uh, you know. It's a uh, it's a big deal for everybody that has them, you know. Because the war guys, they change transmission race ratios a lot, so they'll be able just to pull it out the side instead of having us, you know, split the whole motor. So I'm sure Tim's crew guys will be significantly happier with us.
0: Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's super cool. And is that something that you can now, because of that? I mean, are there times, and and maybe there are for everybody, but times where, because of the length of time it would take previously, that you committed to making, say, a ratio change, and as you're rolling around the corner, like, I wish I could have that one back, or, you know, when you can move that time window closer to when you're actually going to run, it would seem you can make a more accurate judgment.
1: Exactly, yeah, you don't have to plan for the next day, you can plan for, you know, if you're an hour away, and all of a sudden you pick up a headwind, and you got to change a tooth on the rear sprocket, but you don't want to screw up first gear, you can get in the transmission and change something out, so it's uh, it'll be a huge benefit, I mean, actually, the way the way we tested in Orlando prior to prior to going to Gainesville, I was looking at all gauges, runs, and I'm like, man, I just the bike was just driving into an aggressive spin. It's still going 104 in, in Orlando, but um, I just I just need to mess with first gear here. So <laughs> on on Thursday at the track, I just took my time and I changed it out in 35 minutes by myself while the guys were working on some other stuff in the trailer. So it was uh you know an added benefit to just you know taking time with it and just thinking and study some data and move on and but uh we took those cases testing for the first time ever uh when we we tested in gainesville about a month ago with uh, some of the nitro teams Uh, that was one of first official test session on our bike, and he had him in his bike with the gen 2 body that we ran last year ed was testing the gen 3 body on his bike with with a proven set of cases and you know the first very first run gauge went down the track shifted fine it was on a run that was probably going to go 71 on okay. his very first run of the bike. But I, I told him, I said, just get to a thousand foot lift, please. We don't need to send you to the finish line on the first run Yes. Yeah. And then Ed made the first run. He went perfectly down the track, down the track and his, his chassis, his engine was proven. The body was the unproven thing, but he's like, if it's smooth and square and it's going straight a thousand foot, he's like, I'm just going to run it out the back. And I said, go for it, man. So he did. he went over, Almost two hundred one
0: on the first hit on
1: the Gen three body. I mean, I walked off the starting line at a test session. My hair was standing up in my arms. (laughs) I'm like, the the amount of effort that was put into getting to that point was uh, monumental. For, uh, for everybody here at our, our Banson nines race, race Development Center so cool stuff happening all around and uh, to cap it off by starting off the Gator Nationals with the win I mean all, our whole shop's on cloud nine walk around high five, and everywhere
0: no it's great <laughs> and listen that's a, as you well know in the sport that type of success kind of begats success and you, you get off on a roll like this this is exactly what you need um, as my dogs continue to freak out in the background it's fantastic <laughs> no problem uh, I'm used to dogs one last question before I let you go uh, how soon after your son Declan saw the Toyota Junior Roadster did he hit you up and say, "I need one"? <laughs> <rest?" laughs>
1: That's the first thing he said when I got home. <laughs> I knew it. He's I knew like, it. How much Junior race are we going to do this year? I said, "Well, how much do you want to do?" He said, "A lot." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um, he's he's hot to trot on wanting to get one of those things. Uh, you know we've had some other things in the works on his car for a couple of years now. I just I, I tend to lose time once oh, we yeah. get in the racing season. Um, I got a fourth. Uh, you know, like a dirt bike 450 engine that I mounted to it and I just got to wire it up and <laughs> I want to, I want to get him to the point. Like I want to get him more drivability time yeah. and not just stab and steer time. You know, with the juniors right now, it's just hit the throttle and go to the finish line. Oh, with the 450, it's going to shift through all f- five or six gears, whatever I want it to do. Nice. It's going to leave on a two step and you know, he'll be able to start a self start. I'll be able to run gasoline. So I want to change the oil every night with alcohol. And it'll be something way different. So that's something we're going to work on throughout the year to get them something different. Go do some, you know, exhibition runs. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Some of the, uh, the series we run. You know, I talked to the tech guys a couple of years ago. They're like, yeah, once you get it done, we'll talk about it. You know, it's it, ultimately I'm doing it for maybe another cheaper option for engines that'll be able to run the eight ninety seven ninety class. Yeah. So you know, if you can find a junkyard four fifty that's you know maybe for a couple grand, you can get the car running the number instead of having to spend five to seven thousand dollars on another engine. So. No, that's and cool, and give man. Give the kids some. You know, it may not be the most consistent thing, but it might give the. The kids, the uh, the drivability aspect of shifting gears, moving yeah. down the track, and if the all kid that. gets
0: to self it and shift gears, who cares? I mean, that's exactly. cool. I mean, that yeah. is uh, that's going to be neat to watch, and,
1: and maybe I could pair that with one of those Toyota bodies; then it'll look really cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, you, now you really got something going. Yeah. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time, man. It was a very impressive weekend, and certainly certainly a weekend that maybe was a long time coming for the Vance and Hines team, and um, to watch this young guy. Get an opportunity and take the opportunity to its maximum was uh, was really neat. And like I said on the show, there's there's few things more I think cool in sports than when you see a deserving person land somewhere, um, kind of not plucked out of the crowd, but somebody that has unique ability that was not maybe noticed by everybody, but the right person saw it and then they they went and kicked ass. It was it was something to watch
1: yeah it was really cool you know you don't get a chance to get somebody their first race win very often and you know the the people we've had on our team through the years you know we had ship ride a bike and we had gt tonga riding we they had all had round had race wins before yeah. so we got our, our our guy the first race win which happened to be 19 years after i won my first race win at the gator national so that was that was a another cool stat it was uh yeah, I was on cloud nine. I told everybody that my cheeks are hurting from smiling so much the last couple of days.
0: Well, that's a good problem to have, and hopefully that continues, and we will, uh, we will catch up soon on the pro-stock motorcycle front. But once again, congratulations. Thanks, Brian. We'll be back with more NHRA Insider Podcast right after this. And we are back here on the NHRA Insider. Here with my second guest, he is the second one of our Chiefs of Gainesville, as I'm calling this episode, Rob Flynn, who is the crew chief for Mike Salinas of the Scrappers' top fuel team that took home a great victory. Congratulations, Rob. What a way to start the year.
2: Yeah, thank you, Brian. It is an incredible way to start the year. I mean, uh, you know, on Saturday we're, we're racing and, you know, trying to win the Pet Boys chewed out and then on uh, Sunday going for the race win there. It, uh, couldn't start any better than that.
0: You know, I heard Mike in his post-race interview talking about the fact that, you know, the car really was uh, set up to fly kind of, kind of all day on Sunday and he said, you know, there were a couple of rounds in there where you know, him doing his job as a driver might have taken a little bit of a bite at the starting line and, and those great runs we saw, whether they were high 60s, they could have been even quicker than that. So you guys were you guys were not messing around when it came to eliminations on Sunday.
2: No, not at all. I mean, the you know the uh, you know the track was good there, and we'd make quite a few test runs there. And you know, the one area of the track we had a little bit of problem was uh, you know at the starting line we were getting a lot of wheel speed, but okay. uh, we we're trying to tame that down all weekend. And uh, you know, the rest of the track was was uh, phenomenal. And uh, you know, we we're just trying to run as hard as the car can run. You,
0: you know, I think one of the things that is was one of the hidden one of the hidden parts of this win that you got to take a lot of satisfaction in is how the team worked in the pits. And, and obviously you have a very good experienced group of guys on this car, but it's the first race of the year. We put you guys through the ringer with a TV schedule that was super tight. The turnarounds were, were really, really tight. And at least from where I was sitting, they did a flawless job. I mean, right out of the gate, that has to give a massive amount of confidence.
2: Oh, no, that was, that was incredible. And, You know, and and on the story part of it, we had two new guys, um, and then we had two other guys that were doing new jobs. So, (laughs) um, you know, (laughs) you you change some of that around, and that you know, the choreograph between rounds changes on that dynamic, you know, somewhat. And so, yeah, they did a great job. I mean, uh, fortunately, you know, we had a little extra time when you know when we got up for the up there for the semifinals. Yes. Uh, we're a little bit late, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, got Mike in the car in time to, you know, make the run. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's all it that matters is to, you're up there to make the runs
0: on the tuning end of it th- this was kind of an interesting race at least it's, it would seem to me because first round we ran uh you know we just had the time change so what was effectively like 9 a.m the, the, the morning previous right it was 10 a.m on sunday but it was very cool it never got overly hot but the track temperature began somewhere in like the 70s in my remembrance and then ended somewhere about 115 so over the course of your day as as the guy tuning this thing how many changes uh or was it a more gradual set of changes you made over the course of a day
2: yeah, no, we were, we were chasing the track all day, and, you know, there was some sort of a uh, slowdown there on the first round. where yeah, we had the we power didn't get go t-
0: out. Yeah, we had that power yeah. go out, yeah.
2: And so, you know, that put us behind even a little bit more. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll be frank, everybody that was sitting up there waiting to run, the track temps just going up, up, yep. up, and... And then you're you know, as um, you know, as it heats up, your tune up's changing too. So um, you know, the cars that were sitting there were like, Well, I don't know what, you know, yeah. where we're gonna be at now. We <laughs> might be too aggressive and at that point you really can't change it. Anymore. Right, you're up so, the
0: creek, right? Yeah, you own it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and so you know, at that point you're just you know the track's getting hotter we'll put more air in the tires or you know we'll slow our flows down or whatever the yeah. scenario might be you know everyone's got their different tuning parameters so um you know and then as the track heats up i mean we you know fortunately from saturday we had experience with that yes. and uh you know we just we just kept making adjustments um, you know knowing the track was getting warmer and and uh you know, the correspond in the, the slowest run we made was in the semis. And I don't really know why it slowed down and I haven't even looked at the data yet. So, uh, you know, um, we just went up for the final and, you know, you're racing, you know, a lot of stiff competition oh, yeah. and Steve torrents in the final, you're not going to take any chances. No. And so, you know, we made sure it was tuned up in the final and, uh, you know, it's stuck and uh, made an awesome run.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's great. Final. Anytime we talk about a top fuel race like that, where you where one car is able to to catch somebody late in the, late in the the run and kind of get around the outside of it, it makes for an incredibly exciting action. And you know, when when we talk about Mike over the course of Sunday. You know, the fact that Gianna was having such a great day. I mean, in, in reality, yes, Gianna won Pomona a couple of years ago, but this was her best day of riding on a pro stock motorcycle. We've probably ever seen the combination of her ability on the bike and the run she was stringing together. I'm wondering if that must have it's probably a good thing to a degree, right? Because that kept him occupied on the starting line a little bit. Not that he meddles in your guys business, but I, I'm sure it, it kind of kept him loose and,
2: and vibrant during the day. Well, it certainly kept him running around on it, toes, <laughs> that's for sure? Yeah, <laughs> and she's doing a great job. She looks really great on the bike this year, for sure. No question about that. And uh, you know, the ET's proved that too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's up there. Um, you know, he's very involved with both girls racing, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's ever missed a run. So. Uh, you know, if, if we have to warm up and he's not there, we've got that taken care of. And that wasn't the situation this weekend, but, uh, um, yeah, that's, it's, uh, you know, family first and. The uh, program we got at Scrappers
0: Racing, yeah, and, and you know that goes pretty deep. I ended up uh, over the course of the the time I spent down at Gainesville, I ended up at a dinner with with one or two of you guys were at the table, and I'll I'll let their names remain nameless to protect the guilty here. But no, it was a great conver- <laughs> it was a great conversation, and you know part of that conversation was about that kind of inter team dynamic that that goes on out here, and and the fact that you know these are two of the the more experienced guys on on the Scrappers team, and you know they still involve themselves in the setup and the tear down of the pit area and they weren't bragging about it but what they were saying was the second you kind of start separating yourselves as as teammates quote unquote to guys that do that type of work and guys that don't it changes the whole way that the op it changes the way that the teammates look at each other right are we all equal guys in this or are we not and so for you as the as the 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 coach of this team to have players on your team that understand that has to be awesome. I mean, it, it, to me, I was really impressed. I was impressed that that they take it that seriously enough to understand that. Hey, listen, if we're not showing the fact that we're willing to do the same jobs as everybody else, then then we're gonna we're not gonna have the same dynamic.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of chemistry on this team, and and even in a couple new guys, yeah. you just never know how that's gonna play out. But yep. uh, that's been seamless, and uh, you know, the one guy that showed up. Uh, he he didn't even work with us through testing except except for the wednesday you know prior to qualifying and so we just kind of threw him to the fire (laughs) in that that regards and then bang we're you know we get one run friday and then we get rained out and and we're right into racing on saturday and so it's like hey (laughs) this is how it's going (laughs) to be it's a quick education Right. And, uh, you know, on, on Sunday, we also, you know, um, you know, Jasmine's misfortune, we had one of the crew guys from there helping us. And that okay. was a big help too with the real, you know, short time between yeah. rounds that you stated. And, uh, so that was a big help. And, uh, you know, with our, you know, everyone just jumps in and helps. That's just the way, the way the program is. And, uh, it works really well. And really the chemistry, It's been good from day one, and and I think that was part of, you know, why we were successful last year, early in the year. You know, we won early in the year last year, too, and that, uh, you know, that just made everything gel really quick last year, and we just kept rolling with it, and a little bit of a slowdown, you know, halfway through the year, but, uh, um, you know, we've... We wanted to come back as strong as, uh, you know, we were early last year.
0: You know, let's talk about being strong because when we go to Phoenix in a couple of weeks, that is typically a race that is not about uh, tiptoeing down the racetrack. When we talk about Phoenix, you know, and again, we're a little bit later than we normally get there, but I still think we're in that window of, of being, at you know, pretty cool, dry, and fast. So, you know, approach-wise for you, when you look at what you did in Gainesville versus what you may have to do in Phoenix, what has to change? <sighs>
2: Well, I, I mean I think Phoenix and Pomona, if you look at the temperatures long range right now, like Pomona's been actually kinda cold. And Phoenix is in the seventies, which is kinda common yeah. and so um you know, we'll just take the knowledge we learned here and knowing that the yeah. track probably would be a little bit tighter there, won't be quite as many cars running on it, so you know, the rubber will be a little firmer and yeah. Uh, like you said, the performance level at both those venues is really strong, and so there's a lot of a lot of really really good cars right now, and and uh, you know just to qualify in the top eight takes a really good run. So oh, it uh, is
0: it is crazy. I mean, we talked about it in the preseason, but it's like you know how can top fuel get any harder? But it's like well, because no one slowed down. I, you look at the good cars from last year. They're still going to be the good cars this year, and just like you guys, nobody's going backwards with their with their program. So having to having kind of that knowledge coming in and and now proving the fact that you can stand in the ring and, and beat them is is a really big deal. You had mentioned something in an interview, I think, early in the weekend, where you talked about you know you you taking a, a bit of a direction in testing and then decided to kind of go back to a point where you were more comfortable with or or kind of proven things that you had done last year. Was Sunday more of that proven combination, or were you able to spice in some of the some of the stuff you learned at testing on Sunday at, at Gainesville?
2: Um, we did probably both. I mean, yep. um, you know, some of the stuff, like really losing in the final of the Pep Boys Challenge. I mean, that was like, okay, we're not going to make that mistake again. Gotcha. So, yeah, you know, we we changed our setup in that regards on Sunday to be. Uh, more race day set up and you. trying to trying to qualify and and really in the probably in the final of the Pep Boys thing we were trying to qualify better and win that race. Yeah. and that wasn't a good combination. <laughs> and uh,
0: <laughs> it was for Josh Hart, but not for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's.
2: Yeah. yeah, it was it was a great win for those guys. I mean, those guys have worked hard all winter. I mean, they had to build two new race cars and everything. So uh, I see the hours they put in too. So you know, we're all working real hard. I mean, nobody's backing down. If anything, everyone's picking up. Exactly. So there's a tremendous amount of parity. And like I said, it. One of these days, you're going to have to, you know, the 12th qualifier is going to be a 60. Yeah. You know, yeah. Nine or something like that. I and, mean, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but that's that's how everything evolves, right?
0: Yeah. And, and that's an absolute fact. I know some teams have already made a plan to, to run, make some, like, post Vegas kind of test runs when you look at your testing schedule for the year, how fluid is it? And I know not every team operates the same way is, is the scrappers testing schedule kind of a preset thing or is the scrappers testing schedule go a point where you look ahead and go, okay, you know, we could, we could use some work here and here. I mean, how do you, how do you typically lay that out?
2: Yeah, no, we're, we're going to just keep testing as much as possible because that's, that's how we learn to get the car faster. Yeah. And, um, You know, our way of maybe making the testing a little bit more economical is just not running the car to the finish line. Yeah. You know, because that's where a lot of the damage happens and stuff like that. Yeah, you concentrate on the
0: early parts of the racetrack or
2: mid-course, stuff like that. Right. I feel like you can learn almost as much as you need to learn running to, you know, half track. Now, the other side of that is (laughs) with your fuel system, you... You know, it takes a while to uh, zero in on all that. And when you don't run to the finish line testing, then you kind of put yourself in the position when you're at the qualifying or racing to where you're having to make adjustments there to, you know, to solve problems. I see. uh, I guess you could say first round, the thing ran a 66 at 334, but the motor wasn't very happy on that run. And uh, so... But that was, you know, on, on some of our test parts, that was the first full run to the finish line. So, uh, you know, like you said, the conditions were really strong first round. And we went up there, you know, racing Justin Ashley. You don't give him anything at no, all. No. And, uh, you know, those guys, they could easily run a 66 also. And so, you know, that that's we went up there and we said, well... Let's try 165. If they beat us, well, we're going to so shake hands. <laughs> yeah, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. One so. of the things
0: we talked about uh, with Bob Task a few weeks ago was the idea that he had a really, his season last year, he had a pretty weak spring, had a really strong summer, and then had a pretty weak fall. And what he told me, and I'd never really thought of it this way before, was he kind of knew that they were in a rough spot leaving the cooler race months because you don't get a chance to test cool race setup in the middle of the summertime. So he was he kind of knew coming in back into the fall that, that there was going to be some, some issues or maybe even some guesswork done to try to get the car back where they wanted. So how important is it not just to win the race in Gainesville, but to put on a strong showing? To your point, if you said, if you leave a race like Gainesville, Maybe not a winner, but you have a car you know you can make run 67, 65 in these conditions. That's still value, right? That's still value for when we get to the back part of the year and we start to see more cool stuff.
2: Oh, yeah. No, that's that's tremendous value, uh, you know, having your car in the 60s. And, and um, you know, our testing went really well. I mean, we ran both our race cars and they were both really fast. Yeah. And, uh, you know um the way you know the qualifying worked out by having to race on saturday we really couldn't show our hand on any of that stuff so like i said first round was the first time we were in conditions where you could really you know uh pull the power to it yeah. and clutch and uh you know then after that um like you alluded to we were just tiptoeing the rest of the yeah. day to make sure we'd go down the track and uh you know we're still, we feel like you know we try and run you know three sixty nine every run we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't you, right? Right, and sometimes it sticks, and sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> and then you just try to figure out a way to make it stick and still run that number. And so, um, you know, that's that's our goal all the time is uh, you know, and that's that's Mike's thing. He wants he wants the car to be strong and. Yep. So we don't really, you know, we don't back it down just because the conditions change, we try to adjust around the conditions. So
0: that makes sense, man. And, and listen, congratulations again on the win. It was, you know, unique in so many different respects. Unique because it was the first race of the year. Unique because of the tight turnaround and the work your team did. Also unique because effectively everybody else you were racing had also been testing for days on end before. There's not going to be another race this year, maybe other than the U.S. Nationals, where people have actively tested themselves into race day form before we turn a wheel and qualifying. So even that makes it even more impressive to me
2: yeah no I mean it was you know it was great. everybody got to test at that venue prior to being there you know and in lots of different conditions weather wise and track wise and so you- ha- everyone had a lot of data to work from and and certainly it it you know we we all put on a great show i oh, feel yeah. like it was and, unbelievable and incredible crowd there and, and as far as our team, i mean they did a fantastic job and uh we just want to keep it all rolling and uh, all year long, not, not have all oh, year exactly. long, but unfortunately <laughs> in in, uh, in racing, there's peaks and valleys and yes. uh, we just want to peak later, <laughs> not, not, not peak early in the year and then that's it. So we want to just keep the peaks and valleys going, but have the peaks uh, all year long. So.
0: Well, that sounds good, Rob. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Congratulations on the win, and I will see you in what promises to be a very fast and likely another sellout weekend in Phoenix. It's going to be crazy.
2: Yeah, I think there's going to be some incredible performance uh, in the next two events, for sure. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.
0: And welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. As we close this show out, what a fun episode. A fun episode of of kind of understanding just how big and grandiose the Gator Nationals was, how important it was to kick off the season and the method we did. And how great to talk to Andrew Hines and get that story's home with COVID in 2022 and he watches Gage Herrera and qualifying on NHRA.tv And eventually lands him as a rider for Vance and Hines. And a man goes on to win the first race he enters with that team. What a great story. And for Rob Flynn, the experience of his crew, the camaraderie of his crew and his owner. As demanding a guy as Mike Salinas is, demanding owners get results. And that is the type of guy he is. And that's the type of work that they continue to put in. And the results they continue to get off to a flying start. Who's to think that Mike Salinas will not be in that championship contending conversation come the end of the year we got a lot of great stuff to talk about between now and phoenix we'll be back next week with another episode of the nhra insider podcast the season has finally begun i know you're excited i'm excited to make sure you follow along on all of nhra's social media channels on nhra.com for breaking news and good stories the race in phoenix is trending to be a sellout for three days straight If you have not gotten tickets yet, there are, and I'm not trying to sound like a used used car salesman here, there are very, very few reserved seats left. In fact, it's down to my understanding about 100 seats as I make this show of reserved seating. This will be a drag race kind of uh, happening, the likes of which Phoenix has not seen in many, many years. It's a race we always have a big crowd at, but for 2023, this crowd will be absolutely off the charts. Just like we're in Gainesville, we'll be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday to get into the track to beat the traffic. It's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. We'll be back next week to preview Phoenix and talk more about the news and happenings in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. The season's off to a flying start. I'm Brian Loans. As always, thanks for watching or thanks for listening and continue to follow along with the NHRA Insider.